Curse you, Red Baron. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. An off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Welcome to TFG Unbuttoned. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. Find us here on Tuesdays or the Focus Group on Wednesdays from 1 to 2 p.m. East on YouTube and Facebook Live. And of course, focusgroupradio.com is the URL where we have all our media and where you have information about us that you could read and learn about our partners, including Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. They've been with us from the start. Check them out by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the logo. All right. It's the... um, Am I allowed to say this now? It's the penultimate uh, Monday before the, the election. <laughs> before <laughs> Am election. I right about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before before election day or election week, I guess so. Yeah, because it's the one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you did you uh, did you vote yet? Can you vote early in New York? Yeah, voting uh, early voting in New York started on the twenty fourth, which is Saturday, and it goes to the third. And I will be voting tomorrow or Wednesday in person. So I'm looking forward to that. I sent my ballot in into uh, Pennsylvania. I was able to do an absentee, and uh, they have it down pretty pat. I don't know how somebody could claim that it could be fooled around with because you have to sign you you fill out your ballot and then you put it in a secret envelope and then you put that in another envelope which has your address and your return, and that's what they mark to say, okay, you've now voted. They open that up, and then the secret envelope with no ID on it goes to a place to be open, so they can't tell who you know who or how you voted. And uh, and then you get an email saying we received your ballot; it's been processed. Dot dot dot. So it, it's, so so when you say it's been processed, does that mean it's actually been tabulated? But it's it's all going to not be given into the final totals until the actual day of ele- the, the election. You know, good question. I think in Pennsylvania, there's other states. I believe Florida, for instance, as soon as your ballot gets there, they'll count it. Pennsylvania does not, I think. Pennsylvania is a little bit like West Virginia, quite frankly. The, um, I, I believe they're not allowed to open them until 7 a.m. the morning of Election Day. But I think what they're saying is that they've, so my name is logged in that I voted, so I can't show up at the voting place and say I'm going to vote today. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But there, there has been some, and it's actually the Supreme Court has been talking about it. The, the state of Pennsylvania has asked that there's at least a three days lag. So if election day is on Tuesday, they want to give until Friday, as long as it's postmarked by the proper date to get into count. The Republicans in the House and uh, keep fighting it and say, no, you can't do that. And so they actually won the first round. The Democrats won with the Supreme Court to say, as long as it's postmarked, if it comes in a day or two late, you can still count it. The Republicans say, no, not fair. So that's where everybody seems to think that Trump will be dicking around with the election because. Uh, Pennsylvania is a swing state, and the hope is that he wins, that uh, the Democrats win some other state and make make Pennsylvania not significant. But um, it, it could be a mess with PA. I, I honestly don't know what to think. I mean, I, I've been looking at a whole bunch of models from everybody knows 538.com. I've also been looking at The Economist has a really interesting set of data that they're using that a lot of people uh, swear by as well. And as of this morning, they've pushed Biden further into the um, electoral vote majority column. Like, I mean, like a lot of votes. I think it was like 340 something to Trump's 170. I forget the exact numbers, but um, 
And then, you know, you hear from the campaigns themselves, including Biden's, that uh, they're very worried because in many of the swing states, it's it's a one or two point difference. It doesn't seem to appear to be as large as the media is reporting. I don't know. Yeah, the fear is people get complacent and say, oh, my guy's winning. I don't need to go vote, which is, I think, what happened with Hillary, quite frankly, is I think people felt, oh, how can we possibly elect this reality TV star? And guess what? So you need to vote, make a plan, go vote, go vote, go vote. How you do it is up to you. Who you vote for is up to you, but at least go vote, please. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I and, and before we kick off all our stories, I just... You know, I was watching one of um, the president's rallies. I think it was in uh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and the part that that I really don't understand is how you can stand on a platform where hundreds of people are not wearing masks. We know it's an airborne virus. You know, you know there's all these things we now know. But to simply say we're all tired of it, we're rounding the corner, therapeutics are coming. And then you have Mark Meadows, you know, chief of staff, saying there's no way they can t- contain it. Oh, really? Other countries have done so. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so instead, we're going to focus on the other stuff. So what do you tell the uh, 234,000 or 228,000 um, family members who've lost somebody or multiple people in their families that that this can't be contained? I mean, it's just it's and then to have people cheering at that. That's the part that really gets me. I know you and I have talked about this a lot. You know, the millions of people who've cast their vote for that candidate, for the Republican candidate. What are they thinking? Are, are, is it really so narrow to say that, oh, he'll be better on the economy and everything else will work? Listen, I can't out. wait until these yahoos and their six-toed babies all of a sudden need health care. Well, and that's it's going away. Yeah. And because the baby's got a pre-existing condition, it's going to have to grow up with six or eight toes. So I'm happy, to, I'm happy to see what happens when then they all start wondering what's going on, why they don't have health care. So we'll see. Well, yeah, we will see indeed, won't we? Because we have no choice. And now we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> to our first story. This uh, this uh, caught my eye because you and I are auto guys. And uh, the headline reads, China's electric car strategy is starting to go global and the U.S. is lagging behind. Um, it's an article basically talking about how uh, China is one of the biggest markets for automobiles in the world. Uh, many of our companies have uh, plants over there and, and many all auto brands usually sell in China. That... Um, Electric cars, though, are really starting to take off there. And it's because I think the state has put a lot of money behind a whole bunch of startups. Not every one of them survive, but the ones that have are actually doing okay. And this is an interesting thing to me because this could have been in one of those clear technological advantages that the United States had, had we really embraced electric. We are seemingly embracing it now. I think the big the big three are looking at all sorts of ways of getting into the electric game. Um I was surprised by one interesting thing, though. I think almost 100% of the battery supply for lithium-ion batteries comes from Asian countries. Is that, Did I read that correctly? No, you're right. You're right. So that's a an interesting thing right there. I, and and of, of the plants that are coming online, I think the number was 147 or something like that worldwide. Only a small part of those plants are even located in the U.S. They call them gig fa- gigafactories or the big the battery factories. So this is going to be an interesting shift. And let's be real about this. Um, you know, I was actually thinking about this the other day when I took the car to be inspected and to have the oil changed. This is going to be a real game changer for the entire industry if we go electric in the next five years, right? I mean, what happens to the entire supply chain? Well, they expect that uh, by 2030 that at least a third of the cars will be, or half the cars at least in China will be electric in China and Europe, and then about a third in the U.S. 
I, I think um, my, my fear here is our petroleum indus- industry, which is huge in the U.S., and also, as you know, in the 50s and 60s, um, we're responsible for the demise of public transportation in California, right? Because mm-hmm. they, didn't, they wanted people to buy cars, and if you buy cars, you're going to burn oil and you're going to burn gas. And so I'll be curious to see what happens because the, Bill Clinton did a speech, many, many, it was in Denmark, I believe, and it was in the late 90s after he was out of office and talked about this very thing and talked about how this could be a huge thing for the U.S. and a huge industry boost in terms of manufacturing, that we could have done these batteries for electric cars as they were coming, as well as an infrastructure program that was geared around some other sustainable uh, energy, such as solar panels, wind, and so forth. And he had this big, he was, he was at a conference and he was speaking um, about what he saw on the horizon and where an economy like the United States that used to be very much petro-based could turn into. And unfortunately, we've kind of ceded this to the Chinese, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, um, well, this one stat here, across the industry, automakers will invest $300 billion over the next 10 years on EV development, electric vehicle, and production. Tellingly... Nearly half of this investment spending will occur in China, an indicator of where the industry believes demand will be. Um, it just sets China up to be, you know, because of how they're organized, because of their government, they can do these things like building high-speed rail, you know, like they'll build this incredible high-speed rail network to cities that aren't even occupied yet, right? It's the same with this kind of technology here. They move the country in a certain direction and while they're while they're doing it, we're all squabbling. <laughs> so. Right, and and right now, I my plan is that my next vehicle will be electric. You and I have driven an electric car for Volkswagen when they were partnered with us on on our show, the Focus Group. And uh, I love the electric car. I love the idea of the electric car. I did not like the limited range, but right now most cars get about three hundred miles. My guess is until they're competitively priced, because right now electric cars in the U.S. are about ten thousand dollars more. Than a counter than a similar counterpart that has the combustible engine, and there is a tax credit. But yeah, a lot of people, by the time you go through the whole tax credit thing, it becomes more aggravation. But I think if they are or when they are competitively priced, more and more people will get, I believe, electric cars. And then you and I talked about what the issue then becomes: you don't need to take it to the dealership to get serviced, right? The only well, thing the most, is a battery. what's the most you're going to get done is brakes, perhaps a brake check and maybe an alignment. I mean, like it's still going to have some of the mechanical issues a normal car has. But um, beyond that, <laughs> you know, well, so, yeah, much you're right. the, so much of the think about all the state inspection nonsense about uh, going to get your car inspected for um, for clean air. All that will go away. You're not going to have to get the oil changed. You're not going to have to replace spark plugs and all these other things that you you do in, a, in your current vehicle. So even automobile dealerships will struggle in terms of how they make their money, which a lot of it's in the fixed operations side or the mechanical side. So they, it's, it's a huge shift. It's going to be a huge shift. And um, I'm not sure we're set up for it. China is better because they didn't have the infrastructure we have for the automobile or the gas-burning automobile. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on it. And I agree with you. Range of 300 plus miles means that I could consider that car. And then the only other thing I have to worry about is where it's parked in either place, you know, so that you could charge it. (laughs) That's the next thing. All right. Our next story is one that 
It's kind of under the radar for me. I mean, I've been paying attention to this, but I haven't seen this film. But um, the headline reads, Netflix subscription cancellations skyrocket after Cuties backlash. Cuties is a um, a French film that uh, the network aired. And, you know, the reason I think this captured our attention is because we often say that boycotts are questionable, whether they work or not. This is one of those cases where maybe the boycott actually is working because, Netflix reported their their some of their yearly financials recently, and they talked about subscriptions almost hitting what they wanted their their goal of 195 million worldwide for the three months that ended September 30th. But other services came and said, "Hey, you know that's true, but look at the defections that have happened. Um, that it, that in fact the because of what they think this boycott of this uh, this movie called." Um, Cuties, and by the way, it's a portrayal of preteen girls living in Paris, and many people think it hypersexualized the children, and it's made a big dent in subscriptions. Um, they claim in this article that uh, it's the the numbers of subscribers are down, you know, sixteen to ten million respectively over the last two quarters or something. It's an interesting thing, and um, all because of this movie Cuties, which the conservative right has like slammed as being, as I said something that hypersexualizes children. Have you heard of this before? I've heard of it and and I did not watch it. And if it does hypersexualize children, it should not be on TV. Um so I get that. I I what I wonder about Netflix though, I wonder if Netflix is similar to HBO or these other paid subscription services in that there's only a limited amount of interest. I know a lot of people that don't have Netflix and have no interest in getting Netflix. And Think about how long HBO has been around and it still only has about 30 million households or whatever the number is that gets it. So I was wondering if part of this too is pandemic happens, everybody wants to get on streaming services, you get on Netflix and Hulu and all these other services and realize, yeah, there's not all that much here for me after I watch the, the, the recommendation somebody told me to watch and then you stop it. So I didn't know if part of that was the issue as well. But um, certainly in the in the case of this, they said uh, what's cancellation skyrocketed 800 percent after the boycott. So there may be something to it. It's and that's about all we're going to say about this, because we've talked about this in the past, especially with the LGBT consumer, where um, some some, like some of these organizations on the right will uh, boycott Target because they allow trans people to actually use the dressing room of their choice. Right. And. Target's like, whatever, because I don't think Target even sees a dent in their sales. But this was something that was a little more uh, real and, and immediate. All right. Our last story um, is news to me. Tim found this and um, I, I'm still kind of processing it because this is such a tradition. Charlie Brown fans are upset over Peanuts holiday specials moving exclusively to Apple TV+. So it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown and a Charlie Brown Christmas. By the way, that's why I opened the show with uh, Curse You Red Baron. That's what Snoopy always says when he loses his dog fights. Um, this was something, these specials, the Charlie Brown, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snow. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's a whole, there's, well, actually, there's a handful of these things that I used to, like, look forward to as part of the national fireplace kind of thing right like the super bowl everybody would watch it on network tv now they're moving to uh, apple tv plus and a lot of people are very upset because it really is one of those things that one of the few things that bring us together yeah as a little kid i remember it was if if the the halloween special or the thanksgiving special christmas special 
it was actually an event at our house and you'd get excited as a little kid. Of course, this was before the days of VCRs or DVDs where you just buy anything and watch it in July, but it was only on this time and you had to watch it. And we used to make Jiffy pop or you'd have friends over and you'd, you'd watch the special and it was a big, big deal, special event. And you're exactly right. Similar to the Super Bowl, It's one of the few things where we watched it together as a country. And a lot of people had taken to Twitter here and complained that not everybody has an Apple device or some sort of streaming device to watch these these programs. And that's where it's moving to. So it's going to go off in, in, on, on, excuse me, on Apple TV plus subscriptions. And as we all know, Apple as a brand certainly does not have the majority of, of uh, devices, right? It, it's, a, it's a more culty than it is is majority. I think most people have Android or other or other sort of products. Yeah, the the scale's different. You know, like obviously Android operated devices are um, less expensive and there's a greater variety and then Apple's Apple. Um apparently they acquired the rights though to the Peanut Specials in 2018 from ABC who had the rights since 2000 and I'm not sure who had it before that. I used to remember seeing it on CBS. So I it, it's bounced around a bit on the right. network side. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's just another one of those nails in the coffin, I suppose, for traditional television. Or are these things even- too corny for today's kids? I don't know. I don't have any young kids that, that, uh, I know that would be watching this. Now my nieces back in the nineties would watch these things, but I'm wondering if kids now just don't f- just find these too wholesome for lack of a better word. <laughs> Oh boy. There you go. Right. <laughs> Too wholesome. Right. Is it leave it to beaver? Is it my three sons? Is it, you know, any one of those 60 sitcoms that, that we find charming and we have nostalgia for, but for, for kids of today, is this just not, you know, a big deal, right? It's a great question. Actually. It, uh, it really is because I'm not even sure what, what would rank as a holiday special for some of, for this generation and depending on, you know, your age bracket. Right. And there is a lot of nostalgia built into this because, you know, I wasn't the only kid, I was the only person watching these specials. My, my mom used to love watching the peanut special cause she used to love the Sunday morning cartoon. Right. And the, you know, every Sunday you'd get the, the funnies and we would play on the floor with silly putty. Remember we used to peel up the yeah. pictures, <laughs> you know, just as a sidebar on peanuts years ago when we were on Sirius, um, I, I, you and I were talking about something and I remembered a, a, a peanuts cartoon from, from 1972. And the only reason I remember it is because my mom's a teacher. She was a teacher and she laughed out loud at this. And we're, we were laying on the floor playing with silly putty. We're like, what are you laughing at? Well, let me read you this. And it was about, um, Lucy getting a C on a art project where she just took a piece of wire and bent it into a shape. And then she argues her way up grade wise. And at the very end of the, uh, I remember, this is how I remember the cartoon because the last panel, she's sitting there with a smile on her face and it says the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the only reason I remember this is because my mom had to explain this to us. <laughs> So we're like, why is this? So? Well, she goes, you know, this is a phrase that we use, you know, you, you and it, you talk your way out of this. And so I um, recently. My daughter rem- deserves to be in the talented and gifted. Uh, gifted My project. daughter deserves to be. To get All right. Action. She's in the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> so I must have mentioned this on our serious show uh, many years ago. And a listener um, very kindly from some archive sent me the actual comic strip. And I recently found it over the weekend when I was looking at the the stuff we're going to talk about on the show today. 
And I just called it up and I laughed because, you know, it still holds water today, right? I mean, that's the beauty of peanuts. So all the way back to your thing about who's watching and who wants to watch, hopefully um, people are going to find it on Apple TV Plus because I think those specials are really cute and they do bring to life a comic strip that we used to love as kids and adults loved as well. But I, And, and to, to put one final note on it, though, if I was flipping through and I came upon it, I would watch it, but that's just not going to happen this year. Right. Good point. You know, yeah. Flip through. So, hey, thanks for joining us. We hope uh, all of you have a plan to go out and vote, as John said. Um, be sure to check us out at focusgroupradio.com. All of our media is housed there, as well as our live show, which is 1 p.m. East every Wednesday, the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Everybody, wear a mask and be safe. We'll see you next week. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com.